Hello and welcome to the Retro Hour, episode number seven, your weekly podcast covering retro gaming and technology news with me, Dan Wood. And I'm Ravi Abbott. Episode number seven. Oh my God. <laughs> Where has the time gone? I know. Well, it's... We're going to get to 10. If it kills us. Yeah. Now, this week, I want to give a shout-out to um, the guys over at Retro Asylum Podcast. Yeah, uh, the Drisk gave us a nice little message the other day, and we're going to hopefully meet up with those guys at um, Blackpool. And yeah, play Blackpool. Another podcast from the UK, aren't they? Oh, been yeah. a long time. They've been going for ages. They've got a massive back catalogue of podcasts, and they kind of look at, you know, two or three games yeah. every episode, then discuss the games. It's kind of like, you know, a book club or a... A game club mm-hmm. kind of style. Well, drop a link in the show notes if you like our show. I'm sure you'll like theirs as well. Yep. And uh, what a guest we've got this week then. One of the big boys. One of the big boys. We had Sensible on. Now we've got their rivals, Bitmap <laughs> Brothers. Yeah, Mike Montgomery from the Bitmap Brothers. Now, obviously, if you listen to the show regularly, uh, Ravi and I, massive Amiga fans uh, mm-hmm. still today and back in the day. Uh, and we're talking games like Bitmap Brother games. What? Chaos Engine? Yeah, Speedball 2. Um, Gods. Yeah, Xenon as well. And, you know, he's a managing director. Director, so mm-hmm. he's the top of Bitmap. We're going to get the scoop then, the inside story on the Bitmap Brothers in around 40 minutes from now. Getting into this week's news though, um, there's a new retro gaming documentary that's just been released. Well, more retro technology really, more about computers. Oh, is it actually out? Well, this is called Growing the 8-Bit Generation. Ah, okay. Now, this was a Kickstarter back in 2014. Mm. And uh, what's quite interesting is they it was actually Jack Tramiel's last ever interview. Oh, wow. They recorded it so, like months, just months before he died. Oh, wow. So this will all be stuff that we've not seen before then. Yeah, I think just, I did watch, do you remember when the Commodore 64 celebrated its 30th birthday? And there yeah. was that interview with Jack on YouTube where everyone was there and Steve Wozniak was there with him and that. I think it was some computer history society. Oh, uh, yeah, it. I've noticed, uh, just looking on the website now, they've got a picture of Woz. They've yeah. got, you know, all the, all the top 8-bit people here. It's completely Well, amazing. they spoke to 64 people when they're making this documentary. So Jack's in there, uh, Jeff Minter, uh, Bill Hurd from Commodore. He narrates the entire documentary, apparently, Bill I've Hurd. I've got to go home and watch this. <laughs> Stop doing the podcast. <laughs> Larry Tesla from uh, Xerox Park. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, the very early uh, development. So, uh, yeah, I mean, if if you're interested in the early days of personal computing and even, you know, the kind of cover the IBM story and all that in here as well, by the looks of it. Now, this Kickstarter started a couple of years ago, um, but the people that backed it actually got the digital copies of the documentary at the time recording this, it was last night, so on um, the 15th of February. Mm. But there is going to be um, a physical DVD and that released of it as well, and I think they're opening it to everyone like in the next few days, so hopefully by the time you hear this, it should be out. It's, it's kind of interesting, these things, because I looked at um, you know Netflix, which is one of the most popular platforms, and they've mm-hmm. got Bedrooms to Billions on, Yeah, and it's quite popular. And it, you know, I think that probably is spreading the computer story to a lot of people who haven't seen it before. The only documentary I ever saw on mainstream TV, do you remember Triumph of the Nerds? Triumph of the Nerds, no. Cringely, I think it was. It was on probably about mid-90s, about 95. Actually, I think it was around the time Microsoft had just released Windows 95. Ah, okay. It was made in America, but Channel 4 showed Mm -hmm. it over here, and it was like a three-parter. And it was meant to detail the entire history of personal computing, but literally it was all IBM, Microsoft, and Apple. I do remember an amazing one, which was with, um, was it Ian Lee? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it was called Fun Candy. 
And it was basically about the start of the gaming. But he kind of met everyone, you know. He met the guy who did Space Invaders. And oh, wow. He, he went round, Matthew Smith was in it, you mm-hmm. know, all the bedroom coders and stuff. It was really good. I think you can find that still on YouTube, actually. I, if I find it, I'll put it in the notes. Yeah, I've not seen that, but Ian Lee is a hardcore... He writes in Retro Gamer magazine, doesn't he? You know, yeah, he's, yeah. He's always loved his old-school games. But it is cool to see these documentaries being made. And even, like, there was that one where Microsoft made it last year, trying to find, you know, the lost Atari treasures that were buried in the desert. Yeah, so yeah. it is nice to see these kind of documentaries coming out. We mentioned Bedrooms to Billions, so hopefully we're going to have the greatest of that, um, that on the show in the next few weeks. Pirates of Silicon Valley as well. That was a great movie, a yeah. Dramatised version. <laughs> <laughs> it's very good. But also, there's one about the Amiga, Viva, Viva Amiga, but that's been in the making for about six years now. And yeah, I've heard that it's going to be out. We saw quite a bit of it in Amsterdam. Yeah, about a year ago. We there, a yeah. preview, but... Um, I want to see it online. Absolutely. You know. Well, it's great to see this one's been released now. So if you've got an interest in the uh, the early days, the 8-bit generation is called, and we'll pop a link in the show notes. Now, following up from a story we had last week about the, the new Sega Dreamcast. Yes, the Project Dream. We are continuing talking about Project Dream because new news keeps coming out every time. So it looks like Project Dream are going to be funding themselves. Interesting. So we thought it was going to be a a crowdfunded project, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. So they must have some financial backing or some kind of investors involved because it says Project Dream has revealed that they'll be funding the development of the Sega console. They've also disclosed that they will not resort to crowdfunding the project and not ask fans for monetary support. And also we were kind of speculating as to what kind of architecture it was going to run on. What was I saying last week? It's going to be uh, an Android thing I thought yeah. it was going to be, but since then... The <laughs> Raspberry <released>. Pi. <laughs> and apparently it's going to be a PC slash console hybrid, so pretty much like the, the PS4 and the Xbox One. It will make mm-hmm. use of x86 architecture while sporting a customised NVIDIA GTX 740 GPU, uh, an Intel Core i5 at 3.4 gigahertz and 8 gigabytes of DDR3 RAM. So basically it sounds like a PS4. So so, so do you think they could get an old, original Dreamcast emulator in Oh, there absolutely. And yeah. then have new titles like Shenmue and all these kind of x86 titles that are coming out. Well, even you remember the Dreamcast, that ran on uh, Windows CE, didn't it? That was its foundation. <laughs> yeah, so, I totally mean, forgot about that. Yeah, well, you know, I guess if they could somehow make Windows games run on this thing, then... Yeah, yeah, that could be good. And uh, long before the um, Xbox did their, or PlayStation did their kind of operating system. Well, I remember the, I think the original Xbox came out of the Dreamcast, didn't it? Because mm. Sega had fallen down and they'd, they'd asked Microsoft, you know, to help them with the OS for the Dreamcast. That's how Windows CE came on board. And then when the Dreamcast got discontinued, or, you know, when it was on death's door, Microsoft were like, oh, well, we've, we've kind of put this effort into developing this console technology. We'll just make our own. Yeah. So I think, yeah, the Xbox did come out of the Dreamcast project, really. If Sega had continued, maybe the Xbox would never have been on the market. So mm, You never know. Maybe the Dreamcast will come back, though, and whip its ass. Yeah, you would have had something prettier than that big, <laughs> ugly black box. <laughs> My Xbox One. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, looks, it does look a bit like a... A late 80s video cassette recorder. Yeah, and it say. sounds like a plane taking off as well <laughs> when you've got too much dust in there. <laughs> now, I thought this was quite interesting. Do you um, ever visit archive.org? Yeah, I do actually, um, because they have the Wayback Machine, which yeah. is great for visiting old websites. And uh, they also have loads of podcasts on there and stuff. Yeah, watching well, it, hours on there actually. I'm yeah, sure yeah, yet, good but, idea. Um, I always see a lot of people complaining that, you know, archive.org is too slow. And like, yeah, they are archiving the entire internet. You know what I mean? It's quite a big job, to be fair. Yeah. Um, but also, there is a game section on there too. Now, yeah. if, you have one, if you get a console or a computer, 
always the first place I look. You know the Tosex? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're massive collections. They aim to be every single software title that was released on any platform. And they've got, um, like I downloaded the Amiga CD32 one, uh, the CDTV. They've got, uh, I got a Commodore 64 one off there recently. So you download it, it's a massive, like, 64 gigabyte zip file. And pretty much every different version, even on the Amiga ones, have got about 12 different versions of cannon fodder on there with all the different yeah. crack throws and stuff on. I've, I've seen like the Genesis ones that they yeah. have uh, for Everdrives and stuff. It's... it's an awesome website. And they also put a load of arcades up last year as well. So the entire MAME Tosec is on there. Oh, wow. Quite how they get around copyright, I don't know. <laughs> but now they've just released um, Windows 3.x games um, that you can actually play in a browser. Oh my god! I've got to look for Sim Hotel <laughs> or Sim Tower, even. Well, this is yeah, basically the you know the early day, the early nineties kind of stuff. You know, stuff like Lander Three. I'm looking at here. I remember that Lander. That was a great game. Uh, Missile, Flight Commander Two. So literally, you go through, click these games, and you can play them in a little Java applet on your browser. Which obviously, if you want to play old Windows games, it's often easier to download DOSBox or run it in VMware. But if you just want a quick blast of uh, an old Windows game while you're at work. And these will be here forever as well. You know, like sites, emulator sites or sites with DOSBox, mm-hmm. they tend to come and go, but archive.org will stay. Well, even they've got a really good magazine section as well. Oh, they've got, got scans of the... Uh, yeah, well, they've oh. got every issue of pretty much every Amiga magazine on there as PDFs. I, I really need to look more at archive.org. <laughs> I've, I've, I feel I've not used it enough. This is great. It is. Well, they only put them up about two years ago, but I've got a lot of old Amiga formats and CU Amigas and stuff, and part of me thinks... Should I just get rid of them? Because I often find it easier just to open it on my iPad. On yeah. iPad, or you can find the issue, and you look at it full screen. You just swipe through the pages. It's it's a lot easier. But yeah, it's a great resource. I'm just noticing at the top. I haven't been in archive.org for years, and they've mm. got you know a, a, a video section, audio section, software. This is amazing. Yeah, right. they've got so much stuff on there. It is. It's one of those websites. You can just delve into it and you can be there like all day looking through all the, oh, I didn't totally. know they had that on there, I didn't know you had that. <laughs> just and get it, lost in there. <laughs> well, even the video section, I think it's like bigger than YouTube, the amount of video they've got on oh, there is wow. huge. And there is actually a, an app that you can download. I know you got a, a Kodi setup recently, didn't you? Yep. There's a Kodi plugin for it. Oh, excellent. Um, so yeah, I can just browse that all day, go on the computer section, all the episodes of like the Computer Chronicles well, are so on So I can there look or, at the video on yeah, yeah. Kodi. Oh. You're watching with the plugin. So. Amazing. <laughs> Archive.org, I'm sure you know about it already, but yeah, delve into it and have a little look at what they've added over the last couple of years, if it's been a while. Now, following on from, uh, I mentioned Amiga format a moment ago. Yeah, the, the classic AF, yes. It was, uh... <laughs> there is a new AF these days. Oh. I thought, because we got an email in the week, didn't we, about this... Um, yeah, Amigaville, yeah. which is a, a a new magazine. Now, I'm not sure what's going on with it because the guy's got up to about four or five episodes, I think. Okay. And, uh, he's, he's he's doing it all on his own. Mm-hmm. So it's quite quite a tough job, but it looks really good. This is a digital only, isn't it? So you, I bought his recent issue, I think it's issue four, but we have read since and he's apparently discontinuing it now. So uh, yeah, I think you can still get them online if you want to look at it. But we thought this might be quite interesting, you know, just talking about the Amiga in particular here, to have a look at kind of that there are still some paper Amiga magazines around. It's crazy because it's like, it, it feels like it's still alive if you're still able to get a magazine talking about it through your door or, you know, even if you're printing one off yourself. But crazily, we have one which is actually in W.H. Smith. Yeah, there is one in the high street. Not, not an entire magazine, but... No, no, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a page every two weeks. Yeah, used to be every week, didn't it? Yeah. It's, it's in a magazine called Micromart, which mm-hmm. basically we have Amiga Mart, Pac Mart, and 
uh, pack, Mac, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's Atari in the back as well, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, yeah. Um, so they've, they've got all these different ones. And a few years ago, they actually uh, removed the Amiga section and then suddenly got abuse. <laughs> and <lots laughs> Everyone went apeshit, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, now our friend Sven Harvey actually writes it. And we've mm-hmm. met him at quite a few Amiga events. Really, really nice guy. Mentioned a few of our videos in the past. We'll have to... Oh, yeah. Uh, Send him a link to the podcast. But yeah, so uh, if you're ever in WH Smith, Micromart, it's, it's really more of a trade magazine, isn't it, for the computer yeah, industry? Yeah, but it's also really cheap as well. About 99p or two quid, is it? It's, not it's about two quid. It's yeah. not like, yeah, you know, retro gamer. Which, mm-hmm. It's a good little thing to pick up. And another one is uh, Amiga Future. Now, do you subscribe to this? I used to subscribe to Amiga Future, but I found actually... Because doing this podcast and shows like this, I'm looking up news all the time. So yeah. the stuff that I'm reading in print is a bit late, but then there's really nicely written articles in there. So Well, Amiga Future, it's, I did sub for a while, but my subscription lapsed to it. And I, I occasionally get the order, you know, if I'm buying something from Amiga Kit, the it's an online Amiga retailer, I'll generally always bundle in a copy of Amiga Future in my basket to get shipped out as well. And, uh, yeah, it's, that's been going a long time. Aren't they up to, like, uh, issue 100 now or something? They must or around be, yeah. There? Yeah, they've been going a, a good long while. Um, but, again, this is, it's a full-colour, glossy Amiga magazine. Does it come out every two months, is it, or three months? I think it is, and uh, they also have, like, special guest-writing articles in yeah. there. So Trevor Dickinson, who ran Aeon, the main Amiga company at the moment, um, he's basically writing reflections and kind of historical stuff about his collection of Amigas and about older machines and, you know, stories about companies that we don't really mm-hmm. remember. What happened to them? Yeah. Uh, and it's quite funny, actually, because quite a few of them turn into porn companies. Really? Is, yeah. <laughs> I've been reading a few articles. And it's, Might start buying this yeah. again. <laughs> no, there's one called Softwood. That, uh... Oh, that was set, set up for that, wasn't it? Come yeah. on. But yeah, Amiga Future, it, like you said, when it comes through the door, and you've got this glossy magazine. It kind of feels like the days when CU Amiga used to follow my, my doormat. And yeah, Amiga totally. Format. And they even do a version with the CD-ROM, don't they? Yeah. Well, I, I, I remember I used to walk into WH Smith's mm-hmm. and I used to just stand there proud because all the other geeks would be like searching through hundreds of stacks for Atari magazines or something and we'd just have a line of pristine, massive-selling yeah, yeah. Amiga magazines. <laughs> and it was like... There's always too many though, wasn't there? Yeah, far too many. If I ever got money, I'd always buy Amiga format every month. Oh, I was a CU Amiga guy. CU. So. I started buying CU a lot more probably after about 95. When the cover CDs came in, I started buying it religiously. Yeah. I got it super, occasionally before Super that. CU CD. They, they were the best CDs yeah. though, weren't they? Amiga Shopper I used to buy every month until it went... Because it was cheap at first. God, I even like, forgot about that. My dad used to buy that, yeah. But it was 99p when that came out. And, like, you know, I was only about, like, 11 or something. Yeah. But um, later on, it got quite expensive with two floppy disks and that. And I thought I might as well just get Amiga format. But there's also Amiga User International. I used to buy that. And that had a bit more of a... It was more of a general technology magazine. But, but these kind of magazines, they, they kind of show the culture at the time, like... Games Master was a magazine. Yeah, yeah. And that became a TV show and a massive hit and mm. kind of CVG as well. I yeah, remember yeah. that was massive. And at the time, they were, you know, really, really strong, powerful forces. They could refu- review a game and destroy it. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, even like, you know, talking about Amiga User International, I remember reading about mini discs for the first time in that. They were doing like, you know, kind of a feature on mini discs. This oh, is the future. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then I got my first mini display like, you know, eight years after that or something, but... It's just cool, I mean, to, to have like paper magazines again. So uh, if you are interested in um, a modern-day Amiga, Amiga magazines, we'll pop links to these in the show notes as well. And obviously, there is Retro Gamer that covers all platforms. I'm sure everybody that listens to our podcast is aware of, but mm. they gave us a shout on their website last week. So Yeah, but also they've got 
uh, these books that are coming out, the retro gamer are doing. So they're doing like the Amiga book or the Atari yeah. book, the SNES, the NES book. And it's basically like a one-off special, completely full of information. So. And yeah, they're about like normally 12, 13 quid, aren't they? But they are proper like encyclopedias, aren't they? The Amiga book, people were buying it and selling on eBay because it was 50 selling quid. Yeah. <laughs> I remember. Yeah. Okay, this is quite an interesting title you've right here, Ravi. Minecraft Boris Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this is a London Games Festival, okay, which is a three-year program, and it's one point two million pound investment uh, from the mayor of London's office, which is interesting because he's basically saying they want to promote games more in London, as it's you know a massive financial centre. So the way that they opened this was they had a Boris Johnson skin in Minecraft and had him actually <laughs> talking. I'm going to get him on his bike. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> so essentially this is going to be like the UK version of E3 then? Yeah, it looks like it. It's uh, It's got a fringe festival as well and you know it's, it's kind of really small and they're just trying to start and boost the economy so it won't be a massive event. But um, It's running for 10 days it says, yeah. First yeah. to the 10th of April 2016 with 15 official events across 10 locations. So yeah, you know, it's, it's two two like two a day pretty much. Well, yeah. not even that really, is it? But. And they're saying it will raise £35 million in new revenue for businesses, hopefully, and add £10 million to the London economy, around 300 jobs. So they are investing in gaming, which is really good, actually. That's amazing, though, because I think the nearest one to us, you get Gamescom over in Germany, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I often see videos from there, but yeah, there's never really been anything like that in the UK, like proper... I remember years ago they used to have stuff in uh, this NEC arena, mm -hmm. which was a big kind of... But we'd have the ideal home exhibition. <laughs> we wouldn't have like... You know, and you'd go and see the computers there. You wouldn't go to a dedicated... Uh, At least when you go to E3, there's the uh, the Playboy exhibition next door usually, isn't there? <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> that's where we're going next. Yeah, I, I always used to hear it whenever I watch things from uh, E3 um, or CES, maybe it's CES actually. Um, and they're always like, yeah, I think there's like some the Las Vegas porn conventions going on <laughs> in the room next to it. So you get all these geeks wandering in there after the show. Yeah, we've lost, we've lost <laughs> half of the show. Yeah, we're trying to find Microsoft stand. <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> and uh, this one's quite interesting then. Uh, it kind of follows on from the guests that we've got coming up in, uh, in just a bit. Yeah, it's just our timing's so good as well, you know. Like we planned the show. Yeah, like the Lemmings' 25th birthdays just happened, and who did we have on last week, you know? And the week before. We only realised that after, but yeah. <laughs> but the Bitmap Brothers collection for the Amiga CD32 is out. Yes, and this is the complete works of the Bitmap Brothers. So basically, they've put everything on here. The Chaos Engine 2, Gods, Magic Pocket, Speedball, Xenon, Xenon 2, you know. And this is lots of entertainment, but also what they've done is they've remapped the keypads as well so to work on the cd32 yeah so it's a lot easier to play and it's playable for the first time without a keyboard woohoo yeah so you can just <laughs> do it with the pads and looking at it here now we, we will say this is an unofficial release unofficial maybe yeah. we don't mention it to mike montgomery when, he, when he's on in <laughs> half an hour um but yeah you get all of the the bit my brother's games for the amiga and they put it on this really nice launcher as well so you go. You just select it from this menu when you put the disc in, and they've also got what's his name? That that alien Colin? <laughs> is it from I, I, Xenon? <laughs> I think it is. Yeah. yeah, I remember the the CD. I think it's the CD TV version of uh, Xenon Two, and he's in there. He goes, "Hello, my name is Colin." At the beginning, that was always hilarious. <laughs> it cracked me up. Um, but yeah, if you haven't if you haven't played that, you'll be like, "What?" Yeah, no, I've never uh, seen that. But, it sounds but yeah, good. so pretty much every bit my brother's game on a single CD ROM that you can download for free. 
Oh, yeah. And uh, play new CD32 or emulator. That's it. And also the Bitmap Brothers games. I think the best version was the Chaos Engine version on the CD32. I'm looking really here, nice. though. It says they're all Amiga 500 versions. Ah, so, so maybe, maybe it won't be the AGA one. Maybe because they're so small, they've had to put them on the uh, one CD. Maybe you can play these on an Amiga 500 with a CD-ROM drive or something as well, if they're not oh, AGA versions, oh, yeah, so, or a maybe. CDTV with a bit of extra RAM. Now, uh, we've been talking about this um, ZX Spectrum reboot a bit over the last few weeks, and there is another development now on the Vega project. Yes, and uh, one of our listeners, Joshua Andrew Coburn, has sent us this link. So, mm-hmm. it's our first user-submitted piece of news. Ooh, <laughs> I'm very excited. Now, is this an Indiegogo then, so it hasn't been released yet by the looks of it? Uh, yeah, this is, this is a crowdfunding project, but I've seen a hell of a lot on it online because mm-hmm. everyone is pushing it at the moment, and... The picture of it looks bloody great. So explain what it is then. It is your Vega, which was the Spectrum before, a remake, but it's handheld this time. So it's an LCD console, a thousand license games, but mm-hmm. you can also connect it up to your television as well. So yeah, it, it is a handheld console then. So you've got a D-pad, a um, yep. couple of buttons. You've got some keys there. What are they? What's on that? SE2 and 1. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not a Spectrum guy, so <laughs> I don't know are, which yeah. one of the popular ones. But uh, it's got micro SD as well, and you know, it's kind of a uh, really actually portable. You know, there's probably been builds that have been tried to done, but you've had to stick them in the wall, or you've had mm-hmm. to, you know. And uh, well, the Vega that was the um, the one that was made in Nottingham, wasn't it? That came out last summer. The small one that only had three or four keys on there. Yeah, yeah, the Vega. Now, yeah. I think now will be also a really good time just to mention this kind of user-submitted review of the Spectrum stuff because we haven't been that clear on it because there's a hell of a lot of them coming out and Dreamcatchers mentioned something on one of our forums. And this is on the uh, English Amiga board. Now, we, we posted our podcast in there and, uh, yeah, Dreamcatcher, he actually, um, he's tried out one of these then. So it's not the Vega that he's talking about here then, is it? It's the one that we mentioned last, or a couple of weeks ago, the one that's essentially a Bluetooth keyboard that yeah. in- interacts with your Android or iOS device. Yeah. So he says the full-size one-on-one copy is just a Bluetooth keyboard interface with the Spectrum emulator app. Looking beyond, it looks a hell of a lot like a dead flashy spec with nothing inside. Yeah, it's more it's more of a recreated Spectrum than your average cordless keyboard. It's a tad disappointing. Now, he says, the joypad like Vega, on the other hand, looks cack. <laughs> <laughs> Is this the one we're talking about here, then? The all-in-one, okay. Yeah, but it does not technically have a specky brain. It's It's kind of a device that can be used along with your telly. Mm-hmm. Now, hopefully, this handheld device will look a bit better than the Vega. I think that's his main point. Well, it says here this one's... In, it's the only one that's endorsed by Sir Clive Sinclair himself. So, okay. Which are quite keen to uh, point out on their homepage to distance themselves from the dodgy elite model. Yes. So, I mean, there is a lot of these around at the moment, and it kind of seems like after the, the original Vega got announced, everyone's kind of jumped on the bandwagon a little bit, but... No, so, so thank you, Dreamcatcher, for clearing that up as well, because... Uh... Having input from specky guys is always helpful. I mean, it does come with a thousand games included, so I I imagine most of the big ones are in here. Mm. Um, And there are some fully functioning prototypes available. So it does look like it's a handheld that you can plug into your TV, essentially. I mean, it uses a D-pad and it's got these buttons, which is obviously not the way that you originally played um, Sinclair specky games. But if you want to play them on the go, I guess, you know, it might be a little bit more of an elegant solution than getting an emulator on your phone, at least. Next one, Coco Chameleon Public Preview. Yes, so this is the Coco Chameleon, which we covered the other day. 
which was uh, the retro VGS that got rebranded by Chameleon, mm-hmm. and uh, it was a failed Indiegogo campaign. Um, now, they're saying that the Chameleon's actually been released, and they'll be selling newly made cartridges for the old classics that were never released in the USA. They'll also be producing brand new games by indie developers, and they're talking about they're already producing downloaded DLC for this Coco. And this this is an interesting project. This is the one. I mean, there is a lot of these kind of rebooted consoles around at the moment. If I said it's got the, it's in the Atari Jaguar case. I'm sure most people are like, oh, I know the one now. <laughs> so the story behind this is um, they got hold of the the molds that were originally used for the Atari Jaguar, and apparently doing that saved them a, an absolute fortune because it was a lot cheaper than making their own molds. Yeah. So. <laughs> to be fair, if you're going to make a console look like any console in history, which will be the last one that you pick? Yeah. <laughs> because, I mean, I, I've read this on forums. Some guy's like, I got an Atari Jaguar when I was like 10 years old and it was the biggest heartbreak ever. So when I see that now, it just makes me depressed. Well, <laughs> so, it was called like, the toilet seat, wasn't it? That was well, the, the CD uh, ROM attachment. Well, apparently this yeah. guy, who the guy guys behind this have actually bought the CD moulds as well. So. Uh, okay. I, I would think if they had a Jaguar... Thing. Why aren't they doing Atari? Why is it, <laughs> you know, Chameleon? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, this this is essentially just an emulator that's got the uh, Coleco branding on mm. there, isn't it? Um, even Coleco themselves, they weren't originally a video games company. Didn't it stand for like something leather company or something it was? Something like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm honestly not all that convinced about this project. I know the, the manufacturers behind this have really pushed it in so far as, you know, this is a machine that's going to recreate those old memories because it's the last console that uses cartridges. Yeah, that's that's what they're saying. My DLC thing, they're not producing DLC. They're actually um, going to produce carts only. Yeah. And it's going to be like, you get this cart and that's it. But they're talking about that like it's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, like, what, the games will be complete. <laughs> You're not going well, to have updates. I, I was, well, I was reading an interview with the guys today. This is how... I've kind of come across all this. It was from last summer, so whether they've kind of changed their stance a little bit since then, I'm not sure. But the guys behind it were saying their goal is to make sure, to basically get rid of this culture that we've got now of releasing a video game that you know is full of bugs and Mm. we can fix it in two weeks and we can get a patch that people will download. Their idea is they're going to get games out that are completely bug-free. But how can you ever guarantee that? How can you also, how can you do that with such a small audience? If Steam were doing it, then fair dues, because Steam are the main people that do that. You know, the amount of pre-releases I've joined, thought, this is an amazing game. It's got half the features. I've got bored of it in half an hour, and then I don't want it when it comes out as a final. Well, you know, it proves this. I mean, you look at old, old cartridge games are full of bugs. What, even yeah. ones that came out of Sega and stuff, and they probably had, like, beta testing teams working around the clock for months. Yeah. But this must be a team of, like, what, five guys? Yeah. <laughs> How on earth are they going to ensure that it's bug-free? But also, another argument that I've seen on the forums, because, um, to be fair, I know, like, Gizmodo mm. are really keen on this project. In kind of the retro community, though, everything I've seen about it's been pretty negative, if I'm honest. And a guy did make a really good point that a lot of the games that come out on this are not going to be dedicated chameleon games because who's going to develop for such a small audience yeah they won't be locked into the hardware no it'll be stuff that'll also come out on on android on Mm. steam but he made a good point insofar as this is going to lock out all dlc because it's a cartridge unless you buy a new physical product 
So if they do release a bug fix, the guys on Android and Steam are going to get it. You're not if you've got this console. <laughs> and what about if they release like, you know, an extra bonus pack or something? You're not going to get it. So really all you're doing is buying this machine that you're not going to get any extra content for that everyone else on other platforms will. But also these titles have to be absolutely classic because yeah. they have to be really high, high quality. Like if you look at stuff that survived with bugs, well, it's Mario 64, mm-hmm. you know, and the backwards jumping bug. That's amazing, <laughs> you know. So it might have some advantages. But if... it, I think, that, you know, there's, there's a reason that we don't use cartridges anymore. It's because they're too expensive to produce. Yeah. They don't really fit in with the, the current landscape of gaming. And Load of fast, uh, faster loading times. That's what they always say, isn't it? I mean, a lot of th- if these are going to be kind of retro titles anyway. I mean, yeah. how long does it take to load a, you know, like <laughs> an NES game into an emulator? It's like five seconds, isn't it? So yeah, clone of Pong. Uh, you know, I, I'll always say well done to someone who's got an interesting project, but um, I think you know the only people that are going to buy this is because it's, it's not really it's not retro hardware. If you want to play old school systems, you can still buy them. Mm, yeah, you could buy a Super Nintendo. For yeah. cheaper, isn't this going to be like three hundred dollars or something as well as saying it's expensive? Expensive and a weird mishmash hybrid of about three consoles. And also reading into this article, I mean, you mentioned it was a failed Indiegogo. Yeah, yeah, before, before. Um, uh, retro VCS or VGS. But apparently later on this month they're going to be putting it on Kickstarter. So <laughs> okay, so give it another shot, rebrand it. Friday, February the twenty sixth, twenty sixteen. It's going to go on there. Um, the team also announced the first Kickstarter reward will be a $135 system that will come with one USB controller, HDMI cable, and a few of the add-ons as well. So, I mean, I was hearing that originally the price was going to be about $300 for this, so mm. we'll see. You know, we'll follow its progress. Yep. Now, going even more old school than the Atari. Yeah, well, this is a revival of another type of gaming, and uh, this is board gaming. <laughs> Do you like board games? Yeah, Monopoly. I don't tend to play Monopoly that much because I get really angry, <laughs> like possessive. <laughs> we actually had an argument the other week. Um, my girlfriend's parents were around, yeah, we were playing Monopoly and like they were cheating, and I just went, "Oh, this is bollocks! I'm not playing that if you're not going to do the rules properly." <laughs> yeah. Haven't let me live it down since. But <laughs> oh, wicked! You had a scranny. <laughs> That's great. So tell us about these then. What's this? What's this new uh, board games against humanity? Well, well, this is this is yeah, cards against humanity, which are basically these kind of little card games that you've got there's one called pandemic one called ticket to ride but mm-hmm. also monopoly cluedo all of these things are selling again like 400 percent upsurge they're saying on the oh, previous really? year we've actually just had in nottingham a dedicated board game shop open on mansfield road oh, which wow. is a whole area and you can go past at night and all the lights are on and you can just see nerds playing <laughs> board games do an episode from there yeah <laughs> but I'll be honest, we've actually started buying quite a lot of board games in the last, like, year. Yeah. We've got about, like, 12 maybe now. Even stuff like, um, you know, the Logo Quiz. Because there was a bar we went in over Christmas, actually, um, and they had a load of board games out on the table and everyone was just playing them over a cocktail and stuff, and it was really cool. We played this Logo Quiz, we bought it and played it over Christmas. Um, But even, I went on eBay and there was a game that I used to love when I was a kid called uh, Key to the Kingdom. Okay. It was called, it was kind of a bit like, I wanted Hero Quest. Do you remember Hero Quest, yeah, a board yeah. game? I wanted that, but they didn't have any in stock, so my mum got me this. It was kind of like a cheaper version of it, but it was a game I loved, and I actually bought it off eBay uh, for 16 quid, and it was like new old stock. Yeah. So I was showing my brother, and my mum were all like, oh, we're going to have a go at that. So I think I think board games are becoming quite cool well, again. Well, I was, I was a nerd, so I was into Warhammer. Yeah, and yeah. And uh, Talisman was one of the early ones I mm-hmm. used to play, and then Warhammer 40k, and that was all very board gamey, but for 
older kids, you yeah. know. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's really interesting. And there's also a lot of kind of weird gaming nights that are going on. In Nottingham, we've got this thing called Drink and Draw. I don't know if you've heard of this, no. Dan. It's a Rough Trade Records. Basically, 200, 300 students turn up, get completely drunk, and then they tell them all to draw stuff and they have to like, <laughs> submit it. And it's like a big drawing competition. And it sells out every week. They, they have to reject people because it gets so popular. Maybe maybe it's because people are kind of, you know, I've noticed a lot of bars that have been putting board games in. And Has anyone made a board game, like a drunk board game? Oh, there's got to be. There's drinking games, isn't there? But... Yeah. That's an idea then, Dragon's Den. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we'll pop you a link to this. It's interesting, though. You know, board games are cool. I think it's cool to see them coming back again. It keeps it old school, isn't it? Back to roots. Yeah, but I guess people aren't gathering around gaming next to each other, so... They need some way to do it. So a board yeah. game, go back to that. Social interaction. Yeah, that's the cool way. <laughs> <laughs> now, someone who's making the transition away from games to another platform, uh, good old Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah, I, I couldn't believe this. I just uh, looked up and uh, they're making a Sonic movie. Now, is this going to be new Sonic the Hedgehog with his, with his hipster scarf and his... Um... <laughs> Most likely. <laughs> Bandages around his legs. <laughs> well, he's got a big beard. <laughs> yeah, well, it's... Um, of course, there have been two... Or maybe even more, actually. Sonic the Hedgehog cartoon series on TV, haven't there? By the look of this, it's gonna. It looks like it might be a spin-off of the animated series. It was about two years ago, I think. Okay, um, I didn't catch that. I've yet. watched a few of them. I mean, this is where you know the Wii U games that are coming out now. Yeah. So it's it's basically the same Sonic the Hedgehog that's on the animated TV series. So I think they've kind of re reimagined the series to to be like a kids character again. Yeah, they said it's going to be live action and animation hybrid. Okay, that's interesting. So maybe Sonic will have a human girlfriend again, which is always really <laughs> creepy. Could about Rod- Roger Rabbit. <laughs> yeah, kind of that's yeah. it. So, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I did watch a few of the uh, the recent animated series on um, on Cody. Actually, one of the plugins on there. One of the dodgy ones. Yep. Um, and it, actually, there's some funny moments in it, but it's they've made like Knuckles is suddenly this massive, like muscle bound jock. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the characters are all, you can tell they're all aimed at like young kids and that, but there is actually some quite funny lines in it when you watch it. Yeah. And Eggman fails every week, like he always oh, does. Oh, of so course. If this is going to be a spin off of that, it's called Sonic the Hedgehog Lost World, which I think was actually the title of one of the recent Wii U games. So it uh-huh. probably is the same kind of. Yeah. Uh, kind of characters I in that. I but. don't know if it'll be a big release or we'll see. Yeah, you might enjoy it if you've got, you know, the, the mind of an eight-year-old like me. <laughs> <laughs> Amiga Tennis Champs. Yeah. So I saw this. I'd never seen the original game, which is basically came with Amiga Power and uh, it was just a little, little game called Tennis Champs and then it got really popular so they turned it into super tennis oh, champs. Oh, I do remember this. Yeah, and, was, it, was it a cover disc, wasn't it? Yeah, and now it's coming out for the iOS, but it looks really nice. Even the original game I was looking at the footage of, it looks amazingly good. So the iOS release is called Tennis Champs Returns and yes. uh, there is a trailer they've got as well, so uh it's only going to be 199. So yeah, cuz I used to play Pete Sampras tennis yeah. on the uh Mega Drive. That was an uh, awesome game. Yeah, because remember, you could put the controllers into the uh, top of the actual car. Yes, yeah, so you could have four players. Yeah, yeah there was a treat, so you could get dizzy to walk across the, yeah, uh, the net. <laughs> walk across the net <laughs> yeah, and smash him. <laughs> yeah, this looks really, really like uh, kind of Sampras or that, that era of tennis. It's always cool when you get um, updates. I've got a few on my iPhone, actually, that I've actually just smashed today for the first time. I've <laughs> yeah. had iPhones for nine Dropped years now. Dropped it in the car park outside the as studio. As we're coming <laughs> into the studio today, I've just broke the bloody thing. So uh, 
when I get my screen replaced, I will download this game. But I've also got Pinball Fantasies on there as well. Oh, nice, yeah. So that's really cool when you're like on a train or something. And um, I've got, on my iPad, I've got Monkey Island 1 and 2, you know, the special editions with yeah. all the talking and everything. So it's cool that you can download these updated versions of classic games. Well, I've got a little tiny fetish for tennis games, kind of, you know, these old classic ones, Sampras, you know, Virtue Tennis was mm-hmm. always good, and then Rockstar did that amazing tennis game as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't watch tennis, but I love playing the games. I'm the same, I quite enjoy them, I mean, even there was um, one that came out, you know, the Sonic and Sega All-Stars Tennis, I think it yeah, was called, yeah. came out on the Xbox 360, that was awesome, but um, yes, yeah, so I'm the same though, I find it very boring to watch on TV, I can't play it for love and money in real life, but Actually, I did see a really good match the other day, but yeah, with Andy Murray. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Was he smiling? <laughs> Not by the end. <laughs> and the final story this week then, before we speak to Mr. Mike Montgomery, um, take video games seriously. Yes, take video games seriously. So this is Naomi Alderman, who is a video games journalist, and mm-hmm. she's writing for The Guardian, and she says... Why don't we have award ceremonies like the Music Awards? Why don't we have, you know, these massive things of the game industry? It's one of the biggest industries and it's portrayed as being spotty, nerdy, sexist teenagers who have a hobby of harassing people online. You know? Do you think it's still got that image? I think the mainstream media sees it that way. You know, there's these kind of cool older kids as well that use it, but it's still very... Yeah. Well, I was reading the other day that apparently the average age for a gamer now is 36. 36? 36 is the average age of people that buy video games now. Because I think it's because, um, you know, people of that, you know, kind of our generation, isn't it? People who were born when games were just really affordable in the home. You know, we got computers when we were kids. But, like, our parents didn't. That's it. I I think... We grew up with them, so... I think what what she says, a main point here is that... um, uh, I want to suggest another reason that the games aren't treated as a cultural medium are that the games industry doesn't care enough to make it happen. If they wanted, they could do. And I think it's true as well. You know, they're, they're more interested in making money, to be honest, than cementing their legacy. You know, the amount of games companies that have just disappeared and, you know, they only talk about themselves afterwards. They're never cementing their legacy, apart from Apple. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, well, I, think it, I think it's because the games market is so fragmented these days as well, though, isn't it? If you're looking at AAA games, at a, but I mean, there are some very you know, artistic and creative indie games, as we've mentioned before mm. on this show, but then a lot of them are just small teams and they haven't really got the platform to get themselves in front of like mainstream media, have they? So That's it. And, and I suppose you have, to, you have to invest to, you know... Bec- or, or sell out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, like, we spoke about Minecraft before. It's a perfect example, isn't it, of a game yeah. that started as an indie project. Is it Microsoft own it now? Yeah, Microsoft. Yeah, so, yeah it's, it's an interesting point. And we, we mentioned even, you know, there isn't a mainstream gaming television program on telly anymore. It no, used to get bad no. influence in Games Master, nothing like that, really. Well, I guess, I guess it's just down to us guys, like retro podcasters and guys, to kind of take <laughs> on the mainstream media and promote these things. Well, you make a good yeah. point there, though. Do you need mainstream media when you've got the internet? Yeah, no, we'll, so, uh, we'll equalise it. Yeah. <laughs> Forget The Guardian, stick with us. Yeah. <laughs> right, thank you very much for listening to this week's episode, guys. Of course, you can get the Retro Hour every week from our website, theretrohour.com. We're on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, all the usual places. And uh, we're going to leave you now with one of the legends of the gaming industry. Yeah, managing director of Bitmap Brothers, Mike Montgomery. And we'll catch you next week. Catch you next week. 
so first of all, we'll get a little bit of background on you, Mike. What first got you into video games? Well, actually, I was a retail manager for Woolies, um, and it's really funny because um, when I was working in the store, the computer printouts came out to show me how to lay the store out, and I went, what's a computer? <laughs> Um, because when I was at school, you know, I mean, I, I'm an old boy, you know, and um, I didn't do computer studies because it meant going down to the local college and they come they come back with these punch cards and I thought, well, the punch cards were very useful for, um, you know, you used to get um, wool and, you know, put them through the holes and make patterns and pictures and stuff like that. That was really boring. Mm-hmm. So when this computer uh, computer um, printouts came along, I thought, well, I'm, I need to know what a computer is. And so I started to do a bit of research, and the ZX81 was out. So I bought one of those and started, you know, playing with it. I didn't know anyone that was in the computer industry at all, who or anyone who had, actually had one. So I learned I learned how to do machine code and stuff like that, and then. I went on to the Spectrum and wrote a, a disassembler and an, and an assembler, hacked a few things and fixed a few bugs in other things, and then thought, well, one day, how good am I? And I went for um, an interview. PCW, do you remember that weekly magazine? Magazine, yes. I went for an interview there at Leisure Genius, and they interviewed me, and um, it, it was really funny because I only went there to find out how good it was, and they said, well, can you start money? And I went, no. <laughs> I've got a good job. I just want to know, well, you're good, you know. Anyway, cut, cut a long story short, after about, oh, I think it was about a week, we negotiated, and I started working for them, and that's where I started, really. So it was kind of by accident then, you just fell into it? Yeah, yeah, but I think I'm a natural. I'm not being funny, but it, it, it was problem solving what I used to do, you know, as a manager and to solve problems. And it, I, I just enjoyed it. I'm still, do, you know, I'm still programming now. I'm getting paid for my hobby. So um, how did that lead to the Bitmap Brothers, Bitmap Brothers forming? Well, we, so I worked for Leisure Genius. They got bought out by Virgin. Um in between in between that time, uh, I met um, Steve Kelly, one of my ex-partners. He was working on Scrabble on the Spectrum, and I was doing Scrabble on the 64 of all sorts of machines. Um, so we got talking, and we out, really got on well, went out for a few beers, and Eric came along um, when we were doing Monopoly, and he did um, he did some graphics. So we, you know. We sort of got friends, and then they said, oh, well, we've got this, um, we're doing this uh, Xenon, it was, mm-hmm. called Kelly X, um, and we need somebody to sort of um, port it to the Amiga, and I went, oh, I'll do it. And then it just went from there, really. What did you think of the Amiga when you first got your hands on one? Interesting question. I really liked it. That There was the, you know, the copper chip, um, you know, the sound chip, everything, it's just... You know, the first thing you did was get rid of the operating system and just you could really get into the hardware. Now, I will say, Mike, you guys always seemed like rock stars when you used to read about you in the magazines and stuff. Yours looked really cool, and there was obviously that infamous, you know, picture of you guys in front of the helicopter, and that was was your image a conscious conscious thing then that you are thinking about? Oh, it was very conscious, um, extremely, because, I mean, sadly, we've gone back to those days for, for different reasons, but... You know, when a program came out, it was a game by Ocean. It was a game by Mirasoft. 
it was a game by whoever, you know? And we said, well, you don't go into a record shop and buy an Apple record, you buy Michael Jackson. Um, so that's how we started, and we wanted to change the industry, and I think we did it to an extent where you weren't buying a game because it was by Ocean, you were buying a game because it was by the Bitmap Brothers. And, and we're the artists, we're not the publishers. And it's the artist that needs the recognition. Nowadays, you know, we've, we've um, uh, well, computer, pro, you know, computer games has got such mass market and there's so many people working, it's really hard. But there's still lots, there's still lots of names out there, designers and stuff like that, that, that you know, will make a game famous. I mean, what was it the other week? Someone's got a um, recognition for, um, uh, as a designer, it's him, not the game, you know? And that's what it should be all about. And uh, you kind of had Sensible that were trying to look cool, you know, Signosis were trying to look cool, but you seemed to top them all by getting a helicopter. Where did you get the <laughs> helicopter from? Well, the, one of the things we did with Mirasoft is that it was written into the contract that we would do a lot of, we would um, do a lot of the PR and they had to give us a PR people um, to help us promote ourselves, which they were, you know, Mirasoft were really up for it. Uh, and we had our own photographer and we said, why don't we do it by a helicopter? Maxwell's got a helicopter. <laughs> so we went to the mirror, the mirror building um, in, uh, where was that? Uh, it wasn't in Fleet Street, but very close. And this uh, is Robert Maxwell we're talking about here. Yes, yeah. that's right. <laughs> we went there and we got permission to take pictures of the, of, of the helicopter just before they put it away. Um, the biggest problem is that we went there at, I think it must have been 10 o'clock in the morning, and he was at Epsom horse racing, and he was supposed to come back, he didn't come back, he didn't come back, and we just sat there all day on top of the, the Mirasoft building <laughs> waiting, because you know, we knew we only had like 10, 15 minutes, and then all of a sudden the helicopter comes in, Maxwell gets out, moves on, and we've got permission to take the pictures just at sunset. It, it was just a miracle, almost, you know, uh, and a good photographer. And then we just clicked the photographs and that was it. And they were so good, everyone published them. They were everywhere, weren't they? But that was our attitude that, it, to an extent, uh, going back to the pop world, if you do something that's really good and looks good, everyone will put it in their magazine because I'm, I'm not putting magazines down, but it's easy editorial isn't it mm -hmm. and people want to look at it and stuff like that so we always made sure that our pictures were really um really good well ravi did kind of mention the um the narrative behind the games there the was it like a friendly rivalry that you, you guys had with sensible then would you say you've been talking to jobs haven't you <laughs> we did have him on the other week yeah 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 well <laughs> let him answer that question i thought i thought it was friendly but at the time I, i'm not sure it was now many of your games you could say, you know, even at the time they were considered now, especially cult classics. Um, you know, we're talking titles like Chaos Engine, Speedball Gods. Is it one that you're like most proud of or most fond of? Caliver. I enjoyed working on Caliver. Um, Steve Kelly did most of it, but I did some really good programming on it. I mean, I, I did a bit of programming probably in everything that we've actually done. Mm -hmm. I think my most proud actually was um, Still Soldiers because I did a lot of the design as well. And like Magic Pockets, actually. <laughs> you know what, with Magic Pockets, it's really weird because 
people either. It's like Marmite. Hate it or love it. It wasn't uh, as successful as the other titles, was it? <laughs> it made a profit. <laughs> <laughs> so many others didn't. So um, you mentioned Zed there as Steel Soldiers. Um, I knew that the game Zed was intended for release with the Amiga. And then uh, I, Click Boom got involved later and there was... Mm, as I say, Click Boom does ring a, a, does ring a bell, but I, I, not for those reasons, I don't think. I mean, we had... Um, obviously, uh, you know, Zed was actually started off on the Amiga. I mean, Zed, Zed took nearly seven years from, from start to finish and, and went through many variations before it actually came out. Um, on the PC, and we actually did have just before uh, the, the release, maybe, um, we did have a, almost a working version on the Amiga, but there was no Amiga market there then. Click boom, it rings a bell, but not for the reasons. Yes, because I guess that was after Chaos Engine 2, and you kind of revealed to me that you know there was a, a very small amount of copies that were sold for the Amiga. Oh, I mean, Chaos Engine 2. I mean, I wish I'd, you know, I threw, I threw hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, of boxes away. I wish I'd kept them because on, on eBay they're going for about 40 or 50 quid. Oh. Would have made a fortune, you know, 20 years or 10 years later, 15 years later, whatever it was. You know, Chaos Engine 2 was just, it should have, we should have canned it. Um, there was no market when it came out. Was that game well received at the time, did you think, Corks? And, and it was very different to the first one, wasn't it? Was it well received? Well, there was only 4,000 people bought it. Mm -hmm. And that was probably, the, the, the market then was probably 4,001. So I think, yes, it did really well. How did the demise of Commodore and the Amiga affect you guys? In some respects, really badly. I think more more to the point is that, I mean, the Amiga, um, you know, it just suddenly died after Amiga went broke, but so did the ST, and they didn't go broke with that. It was a case of moving on. It was when the consoles started to come out, wasn't it? Probably PlayStation 1 was around about that time. Um, and, and then it started opening up, opening up to a different mass market, if you like, or ma massive market to what it was. Um, and the biggest problem, I think, with the bitmaps is that we went off on the PC. We should have gone off on consoles. But it, but consoles, console development was extremely expensive. In the early days, there wasn't many independent uh, developers that were doing anything on, on the consoles because they couldn't afford it. It was when, this is when all the bigger companies like EA started to come in. You know, the dev kits were like tens of tens, if not more than tens of thousands of pounds. We didn't have that money. I, I can remember uh, on the SNES, um, Chaos Engine was released under the name Soldiers of Fortune. Um, why was that? It, it was actually released on other formats as called Soldiers of Fortunes as well, because um, that was in, in America. Um, they didn't. The Americans, uh, I'm, I'm going to get into a lot of trouble here. Um, the Americans probably still don't understand English. Um, they didn't understand Curse Engine, um, uh, apart from it was renamed to um, Soldiers of Fortune, and we were told if it wasn't renamed, we wouldn't sell any units, which is probably true in America. Um, also, the you know, the preacher that, that couldn't allow one of the characters of Preach have yet to become the scientist. They're not politically correct, I think. 
I'm going to get into trouble with Americans. I think I'll shut up now. Were there any um, many unreleased Amiga projects that you guys didn't get out then in the end? Uh, well, there was one project, yes. Um, with a project called Bike. We're doing a book on the Bitmap Brothers. Um, you'll read that. It's one of the chapters. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. What made you want to write a book then about it? My mate, Jobs. It, there was a book came out about sensible soccer. I, people have been asking about it for years. You know, you should do it, you should do it. And I went, no, no, no. And then I went to the launch of Sensible Soccer book. And when John says uh, he did his speech, which is extremely good, it persuaded me because he said it's history. Mm-hmm. We need this to be history. We need people to understand, you know, how the Bitman Brothers were formed, how much they did for the industry and how the industry was and how we've and and how not only me but all the others have, have made it into the biggest industry in the entertainment industry in the world you know and we're british so therefore let's let's make a history book I think there is a lot of that, though, at the time when it was happening. Um, maybe a lot of us didn't realise the importance of what you guys were doing back then. Do you, do you think there's something in that that, in hindsight, you kind of you realise it more than you did at the time? Well, I think I think we realised it because, I mean, you know, that's why we promoted ourselves as pop stars, you know, to change that, that, that attitude. But I don't think even then that we realised how big games were going to be. And I don't think anyone else could do, otherwise it'd be... An awful lot of rich people out there. And when you mentioned, obviously, in the mid-90s, when it, it was that change from, because the Amiga and the ST, even though they were computers that were designed in America, um, they really were bigger this side of the pond, weren't they? But then when, like, the PlayStation came along and stuff like that, did you find it became a more of a more of a global thing? You're going to get me into trouble with <laughs> Americans again. <laughs> you know what? It wasn't many years ago when uh, this world was run by American publishers, probably still is, mm-hmm. but... Probably going back about 10, 12 years, when they said um, a, that a game had to be a prop between 12 and 20 hours of gameplay um, because the audience have a, a, an attention span of about that. I'm talking about nowadays where you know games should, you know, when you're paying 50, 60 quid, you know, they should have at least a lot more game hours than 12. Yeah. In fact, actually, I think it was actually four hours the attention span of a person is about four hours uh, but that comes out of america but i think what's also different now is games hold your hand a lot more so you know it's kind of impossible that you're not going to make it through those four hours because the game will help you if you need to i think i'll rest my case yeah well that's it isn't it you know but back in the old days i mean i, I must have played the first level of chaos engine like ten thousand times over the years but you play it again and again and again it's um yeah I think you spend a lot more time in it back then. And I guess they do single-player games and then go, oh, we'll extend the game life by adding a multiplayer function, <laughs> you know. How many modern games do you play over and over and over again? Not many. Um, only multiplayer ones, really, online. Yeah. Well, some of your old games, like you know, Speedball 2 and Chaos Engine, they both had um, re-releases and updates on PC in recent years. Why did you des- decide to do that, then? Well, to keep the names going, actually, in some respects. Most of the releases we've actually had are very similar to what the original was. Um, and, and really because, you know, in those days when we did, you know, we did, you know, like Speedball and stuff like that and Xenon and stuff like that, it was all about game planning, enjoying fun, mm-hmm. you know. And there's, there's a whole market out there of young people that haven't had that experience. Have you got any plans to update any more? Watch this space.
<laughs> when can we expect the uh, Bit My Brother's book then if we want to find out more about the story it sounds interesting um, I hope within the next couple of months it, it, it's turned out to be a bigger project than we thought um, we've tried we tried our hardest and, and we still are to interview most of the people that either that work for the Bitmaps or are involved and I think it'd be really interesting because it's not about the politics of the bitmaps, it's not about the business, it's about games and the people that worked on them. Well, I always found it interesting that the Bitmap Brothers kind of had all different musical influences and different musical artists working on there, like John Fox working for Speedball 2. Yeah. And, you know, Betty Boo for the uh, other one, the copy of that. Will that be included in the book? Some of the artists that have, have, that have written the music are interviewed, and why they did it. It would be interesting. Betty I don't Boo. want to spoil it. <laughs> well, Betty Boo is an interesting inclusion, though. It's just, you know, I remember the song reading the charts and in the game as well, and it was like, it, it's the first time I'd ever heard like you know, a real song in a video game, I think. I think, yeah, we chose it because it really fitted the product. Mm-hmm. Um, it was actually quite hard to get. Um, it, was, it was quite hard to uh, record at the time, and it was. But it was a real buzz, you know. It was. It was very different because it was. It was pop music rather than music that we'd gone to an artist and got written specially because it fitted. Um, and it's quite amazing because that track was good at the time, you know. For, it was pop music, but it, you don't hear it in the top hundred, do you? And yet, I think I was doing something on my car about three or four weeks, no, about three or four months ago, and I had the radio on, and it came on, and it just gave me that nice, warming feeling that <laughs> something with that. You'll have to wait for Mega Blast to come on the radio as well. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, do, I do hear Magic Pockets more than Betty Boo these days, though, to be fair. Really? Yeah. <laughs> well, the thing is, of course, the other thing we met with the, the Mega Blast um, from Xeron is that, that it was the first... It was the first commercial piece of music to be done in pseudo 3D, surround sound, yeah? Uh, and it was actually featured on Tomorrow's World, um, and it's on a BBC record somewhere. Yeah, because they released it on vinyl, I remember, and there was... Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think yeah. that clip's on YouTube, actually. I think I've seen it. But as I say, it was on Tomorrow's World, which was... Well, I don't know if you remember Tomorrow. Yeah, yeah but it was a scientific thing because it was the first 3D soundtrack, um, pseudo-soundtrack. There was also uh, Electrophere, which was the album with Into the Wonderful, um, with John Fox on as well, which was uh, God's. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, he uh, he released the album Electrophere, which was part of Nation 12, yeah. uh, his kind of collective. Uh, yeah, so you've got quite a few tunes on vinyl. It's <laughs> also like... Um... Oops, I can't remember the the brothers that did the, the soundtrack for Chaos Engine. I've got 12 inches in the loft. Ah, of the Chaos Engine theme. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, I've got a few of those. Was music a very important part of your uh, the game design process for the Bit My Brothers? Because it was always something that you always remember a Bit My Brothers tune on the games. If you're into music, you would do. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yes, yes and no. What makes a good computer game? The music? Yes. The graphics? Yes. The programming? Yes. Sound effects? Yes. 
it's the whole lot. If you put the whole lot that's actually brilliant, then you have a brilliant project. You can release a game with just a really good soundtrack, but if, if it's not a good game, we won't sell. Well, actually, it's quite interesting. If you look at the 007 films, um, strange, straight up, this is slightly different to what I said, but strangely enough, the, the 007s that didn't actually do the figures, the soundtracks never did figures either. <laughs> Yeah, inter interesting correlation. Wow. Now, Michael will say one thing. Obviously, you were at the uh, the Amiga 30 um, event last year. Um, what, what's it kind of like meeting fans who grew up with your games and find your games so important? Actually, the, the Amiga 30, this was the one that was in England. Um, the, the most fascinating thing was actually um, the speeches that were about the Amiga and how it started and the business side of it were were actually a lot more interesting because I knew nothing about that at all. Um, meeting, meeting all the, because actually, uh, the, the one in England actually it was more about actually meeting people that worked on the Amiga. There was more. There wasn't that many fans there. There was a few, but it's great. But I went to the one in Poland, which was all about fans and not about, well, apart from me and Jocks and a few others. Um, quite a few others but it was it was more fan based that was a uh, pixel land right yeah. Yep. yeah great show great show i've heard it's really big just uh, thousands uh, it, of people it, it's i went there the year before it, it was amazing and actually they didn't invite me last year so i was a bit upset so i went on my own anyway and next year they invite me because they've got no choice but I know even talks like David Pleasance from Commodore, he was overwhelmed by how many people still turn up to these shows and still hold oh, the Amiga in that era in such high regard. To, absolutely, totally. If you go to some of the retro shows uh, around around the country, not only Amiga, but the, the Amiga is the big one, but also for the ST and some of the other machines, it's, it's massive. And you know what? You, you would think that they're all old gits like me, but they're not. Mm. You even get sort of like, 14-year-olds come in because it's been passed down the generations and they understand um, that a great game's great because of the gameplay, not about all the graphics. And the graphics were great at the time, but not in to today's standards. But the gameplay was brilliant, you know, and you got lots of fun out of it. And I guess their dad's, like, shoved them in front of an old machine <laughs> and said, play yeah. this. I mean, it was quite interesting. Uh, a few years ago, it is a few, not that many years ago. Obviously, not. I was on, I was in London on a tube, and you, you know, this this is what gives me a buzz. There was two young guys. Well, they weren't young, and they were about us, twenty five to thirty, and they were sitting on the seat next to me, and they were talking about Speedball Two and what a great game it was, and how they used to, and I'm, and I'm thinking, oh, that made me really proud. I didn't say a word, I couldn't. I was absolutely, I, I was speechless, actually. <laughs> uh, th that was probably the most amazing moment I've ever had, apart from winning awards, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's the legacy of the Bitmap Brothers, though, Mike. It's been, it's been amazing having you on and uh, reminiscing about the old days. And we look forward to the book as well, which, uh, as you said, should be out in the next couple of months. Cool, yeah. Cool. No, no, no. It'll be really good. I'm, re I'm really, considering I didn't want to do it in the first place, I'm really happy and proud about it now. If Jobs did it, you had to, though, didn't you, really? I've got to beat him at everything. <laughs> <laughs> he always loses against me, but he tries very hard. Well, Mike, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Mike. No problem at all.